Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals, with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. Go to creativelive.com slash audio to start learning now. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Protone Pedals, the secret tone weapon for guitar experts everywhere. Go to protonepedals.com to take your tone to the next level. And now your hosts, Joey Sturgis, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. All right, what's up, guys? Thanks for tuning into the show, and thanks to everyone at the forum for all the support. If you have questions or an idea for a topic you'd like us to discuss, visit www.joeysturgis.com slash podcast. You can also vote for the current questions and suggestions for next week's episode. I'm Joey Sturgis, and with me, as always, is Joel Wanasek and Al Levy. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hey, what's up? Hello. Hola. If you haven't yet, check us out on Twitter, and you can get the links on the website. You can also ask us questions there, and we'll try to answer them on the show. So what's up, guys? What are you doing? Well, I just had a band leave my studio that's been here for about 10 days, so I'm catching up on the rest of my life. I've had this strange realization of something that I already knew, but every single time I learn it again, it blows my mind, is that I can't do anything else when I'm working with the band, no matter if I'm working nine hours a day or 15 hours a day with them. It's like, it takes up my entire life, no matter if I have an engineer or, Mm -hmm. or whatnot. It's just, man, it just gets so hard to focus on anything else. You, you experience the same thing at all? Yeah, that's really true. Um, it's kind of annoying because life still happens while a band is there and, Sometimes there's a lot of things to uh, take care of, you know? I don't know. If your car breaks down, what are you going to do? <laughs> Limit your hours. Well, I guess the benefit of not going anywhere is that you don't have to worry about your car breaking down. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad example, but totally uh, totally agree with you and can relate. One time, uh, back when I was recording at the garage, well, the thing to understand about the garage is that... Um, it was, it was like my friend's place, so I couldn't really like use their house or anything, and the garage didn't have a bathroom. I remember that. <laughs> oh, yes. no. Oh, man, this sounds like a bad story. <laughs> so if you want to use the bathroom, you basically have to um, get in a car and like drive down the street and go to the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like seven years ago or something. Does this have to do with burn of a day? Uh, yes, it does. Do you know this story? I recorded them. Oh, did they tell you the story? Yes, it was. Yeah, keep going, keep going. I'm not gonna, not gonna ruin it. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, you could like go outside and pee if you needed to, but you know, just pee outside. But if you gotta take a shit, I mean, you gotta go to the gas station. Well, one day, um, this guy, he's gotta take a shit and he can't hold it in. <laughs> so. He, he makes an effort to go to the gas station, you know, he goes outside, tries to get in the van. It's just like, oh, man, I can't do it. So he gets back outside of the van and decides that it would be a good idea to um, to just shit in the yard and not tell anybody about it. <laughs> and this is one of my first like incidents with with band dudes just kind of uh, being a little bit of pranksters that they are. Um he didn't tell anyone, and uh, the landlord comes home from work and walks outside, and uh, she, she sees the shit in the yard, and she's like, oh, that's not dog shit, that's human shit. 
she could tell. So she comes and knocks on the door, and I could I knew something was wrong because anytime she comes knocking on the door, there's definitely a problem. Um, she would never like bother me otherwise. So I'm like, oh shit, what now? You know, I come and answer the door, and she's like, um, I think somebody shit in the yard. I'm like, what? <laughs> so uh, long story short, I uh, I took pictures of it and I sent it to the label, and they gave me a check. <laughs> Hopefully it was wow. a big one. <laughs> a shit check. <laughs> yeah, got cool. me a shit it, check. That's a shitty day. <laughs> you, you know, even when when I had those guys in the studio and they were telling me that story, I was uh I was on your side with this whole thing. I was just like, uh you you really did that? Like the dude who did it was telling me. I'm like, that was your logical choice of action? Like this, what is wrong with you? Like that didn't even happen to me and I just I was like Poor Joey, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny, man. These stories have a way of uh, either repeating themselves or getting around because there's a story that Andrew and I share oh, actually yeah. <laughs> about the piss. <laughs> Since we're on the topic of human excrement, uh, we could tell the piss story without saying who it is, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Here, well, it started with it started with me. I think yeah. yours is a little worse, but uh, <laughs> there was a particular band member who um, he said to save time. Uh, he didn't want to go to the bathroom, which was about ten feet away from the tracking room door. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, one day, I I walk into the tracking room. The band's not there, and I pick up this jug, and I'm like, "Is this piss?" And I open it up, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is just a jug full of piss sitting in the tracking room." And I was like, "What in the fuck is going on in your mind that you're you're like you're pissing? Like, am I talking to you while you're?" You're pissing. Like, are you holding the jug? <laughs> are you holding the jug secretly? And like, and I can't tell what's going on. You're just talking to me like nothing's going on. You're just peeing. So like, it's a what? phantom, phantom pisser. Then the phantom pisser. Yeah, uh, but it, it gets worse. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward. What two years later? On the same band's next record, they came to uh, to my place and Sukov's place. And they were staying in my guest room. So I got to know these guys pretty well, staying with me for about three months. And the same thing came up. The guy didn't want to go to the bathroom. Now, this was in the middle of the night. And the bathroom, those of you who have been to my house know that the guest bathroom is five feet away from the guest room. So he said that he was too scared to go into the bathroom at night because he was afraid of <laughs> afraid of bugs because we're in Florida and there's lots of bugs. I guess he's afraid of the bugs and afraid of the dark. So he kept two gallon jugs next to his bed uh, that one was for water and one was for piss, I then learned. And I guess the story goes that one night he in the middle of the night, you know, three in the morning, you woke up thirsty and grabbed the wrong jug and <laughs> <laughs> drank his piss. Oh, but, God. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was thinking about this story the other day. Do you think he's ever accidentally peed into the jug he drinks out of? <laughs> because, because whenever you drink piss, you know immediately. But when you pee into water... And thinking it's piss, you may not know. So Whenever you drink piss, you know immediately you experience with this. I feel like we need to I mean, test I, this empirically. I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't think you need much experience with it to know uh, that water and piss probably taste a little bit different. 
<laughs> that's that's a good point. Have you guys heard about the potential health benefits of drinking piss? Uh, I mean, I, I heard you can only, in survival situations, you can only drink it like two times or something before it's not uh, sterile anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, because well, it's only, you're filtering, you're refiltering filtered stuff. Yeah. you. It's actually okay to drink your pee, you know, one time. So <laughs> okay, I'll try. I'll, I'll, I'll so all <laughs> if you want to. Well, okay. So <laughs> if you only do it once, then it's okay. I guess that's the that's the idea. Well, I mean, I think it's like up to two times. It's safe. <laughs> I mean, apparently right. it's clean. Like it's so it's make, been filtered out. Like Joey said, make it count. <laughs> you only got twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, you could probably get Ebola from piss, though. Really? Yeah, because it's like bodily. If it's a bodily fluid. Remind me not to go drinking out of the sewer in Liberia. I'll, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm writing you a reminder right now. I'm, I'm sending you an email. Thank you. Just yeah. to remind so you about thoughtful. it. So what kind of compression ratios do you guys prefer on human excrement? Like two to one, four to one, <laughs> hard limit. Oh, gosh. The kind that removes the corn. Um, yeah. There's a hard, there's a really hard... There's a hard limit uh, for that, you know, to go into my mouth. Like it's very, <laughs> very hard to get it to go in. What would uh, what would the plug-in be that would poop out those perfectly shaped poops that require no paper? What, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what would that plug-in? <laughs> what that, plug-in? Hey, yeah, what, <laughs> what plug-in? What that? kind of a sh- what kind of a show is this? Come on, I don't, I don't know. It just went in a great, dire- <laughs> we went went a great there. direction. We went there. here we are in the bathroom. <laughs> let's the get bathroom. out. Let's get out of the bathroom. What do you say? All, All right. right, sounds you know, good. Talk about some. Uh, what's more real than human excrement? But sure, we can talk about stuff like recording. <laughs> well, in case Why? you guys are wondering who's with us here, it's uh, this is Andrew Wade joining us on the air. Hello. And he records um, people who pretend to play instruments <laughs> and people who actually play instruments, too. <laughs> yes. Lies. Sometimes they sometimes they can play and it's it's so weird. <laughs> you does, know? It, like, does it actually blow your mind when you're around a musician that's like really good i'm recording a band right now who is like that and i am there's they have a screamer a separate screamer and singer and they're both great and their guitarist is one of the best i've ever recorded and they're a local band that's wow yeah i'm uh jeremy mckinnon is producing them with me their name is wage war actually i can't i don't think i can reveal any more information about it but uh are they the guys that won your contest no that's uh, hideouts. They're a pop punk band from somewhere else in the U- United States. I don't remember where. Oh, okay. So just if anyone's wondering, uh, could you tell us what your contest was or is? Yeah, actually, I w- I'd love to talk about that. I had this idea, you know, I was thinking, uh, as you guys probably know, I've recorded a day to remember, blah, blah, blah. That's all ever anybody ever hears. But one awesome thing about a day to remember is that they've helped me get where I am in my career because of their success. Now, I started by recording their first album, which was pretty terrible. I mean, they weren't very good musicians. Like, they didn't have, like, super awesome ideas or anything like that. But as time went on, you know, I I developed a relationship with them. We were both in bands, and we'd play together. um, And they would keep coming back. And obviously, they're doing great now. And it made me think. I'm like, well, 
it'd be awesome to get another band to develop a relationship with, but that's a band that probably can't afford to come to my studio. Right. And I yeah. thought, how can I get them in here? Well, I sent out, you know, the the contest thing. This was just an experiment. I, I didn't even know how well it was going to do. I got like 150 replies. Um, and there was no push on any media except my own things, you know, like AP didn't say anything or anything like that. So I got a bunch of great entries. Actually, Joey, one of the bands you recorded sent me one. Oh, really? Who was it? Yes. Uh, uh, there's a girl in the band. They are... I can't remember the name. They're com- I don't think their re- record is released yet. I think the girl might be a bass player. <laughs> Do you that know narrow, what I'm that narrows it down. <laughs> well, come on. well, how many how many bands do you record with girl bass players? Hey, all come on. Well, if there's going to be a girl in the band, it's generally going to be a bass player, though. That's sure. Oh well, actually, I've seen. I feel like I work with more girl drummers than bass players for some reason. That's cool. But uh, Joey, do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, the only thing I can think of right now would be maybe as we walk, but they have a girl singer. Um, and that's actually pretty recent, so I, I'm not sure who it is right now. It's not ringing a bell. It was kind of recent, and they didn't. They, I don't think they're on a label, because um, that was part of the contest. You know, they couldn't be signed. Right, right. But in my, you know, I made notes about every single band, and I listened to the stuff they sent, and I'm just like, this band is done. Like, what, like, what else can I do for them? They just recorded with Joey. Like, it sounds great. <laughs> like, what What do you want from me? You know, like, right, I'm, yeah. I'm looking for people that didn't have any money. You know what I mean? They didn't have a chance to uh, to get into a studio, but they have great ideas. And that's who I'm trying to get in here. So, um, actually, Jeremy from uh, Day Remember actually really liked the idea, and he was thinking maybe on, like, the next time around that me and him could produce an album for free for somebody um, and develop that relationship. Wow, that's a huge, that's a huge commitment. Yeah, the more well, it starts. I actually didn't say all the details about it, but it starts with uh, the, a five-song EP. Um, I'll produce and write on that for f- completely for free, mixed for free. Um, submit it to labels, and uh, they. One of the stipulations is they really kind of have to follow my advice as much as possible because I'm trying to get them signed. So then they come back for the next five. Uh, songs or you know however many to record the full length after they've been signed if they get signed um and then the label will pay for that half or whatever but in the meantime i'm getting producer points developing a relationship that's number one to me uh getting producer points percentages and all that other other stuff which does add up over time but to me i like to think in long term um and a day remember has been huge for me so i'm you know trying to bring in another band like that and I, I can't think of a better way i think that's a great idea and it just seems like a modern spin on the spec deal really that's yeah well that that's exactly what it is like the band is still working on a spec deal with my manager um at, for the most part that, that's basically what it is yeah i think i mean spec deals exist for a reason and uh if anyone listening to this doesn't know what a spec deal is it's basically what Andrew's describing, that you do something on speculation that is going to get big and you're then contracted to do the thing after this, uh, we'll call it demo version, even though it's not, yeah. a, it's not a demo version. It's like fully produced. It's a I fully mean, produced demo. How many times have you guys had people in your bands or in your studio, I know this is happening to you, and you're just working on the band thinking, these guys 
I, I, I hate to sound like a, an asshole here, but sometimes I'm thinking these guys don't deserve to be here right now. They, all the I'm time. like working my ass off. I'm rewriting all of your choruses. Like you guys are getting signed from this, and like they're, you you can't play your shit live. Like to me, all that like maybe the band doesn't look very good. Maybe they you know they can't perform live. They, et cetera, et cetera. So like. It's almost a waste of your of your time. And I AL, we talked about this before, but like whenever I have a band who needs help in the studio, I can't not help them. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. I have an idea, I'm going to say my idea. I'm going to write a part that I hear immediately, especially if it's bad. Anything that comes out of my studio, I want to be excellent. I mean, I'm sure all you guys agree with that. Well, at so. the end of the day, you got to put your name on it. So what I mean, it has to be top notch, period. You know, despite how good the band actually is. Exactly. And if I feel like it's a waste on some of these bands that are coming in here, I figure, hey, I may as well handpick one that's going to last, that can be successful, you know, that that I think has a shot in the industry. A lot of these other bands, they'll get signed, they'll just be a flash in the pan and they'll disappear. So Now, do you vet them in any other ways? Like, are you looking at how they market themselves yes. or and all, all that stuff? Well, yeah, but... Right now, that's not that important, but as I work with them, I will give them every suggestion I possibly can because I've seen bands go from, you know, nobody to be signed and doing well. So I'm going to give them every single suggestion and I'm really going to drill into them. And that's where, that's why what I'm talking about, the relationship is really important because uh, that's when, that's where I can help them sustain their career in more ways than just uh, their music, you know, and it has to go, it comes down to promos, uh, videos, like artwork design. And I'll, you know, I'll, ch I can send that stuff to other people to get professional opinions. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in any way I can help their band, it's helping me, even if I'm not getting paid from it right away. Hey, you know, if somebody else just hears a success story, that's going to help, you know, and the more bands like that, the better. Don't you think that there's a little bit of a uh, age factor in, in what you were saying, how like some bands get a deal, they come in the studio and they kind of suck and you kind of give them a little extra boost by, you know, rewriting things, playing some things for them. Time goes on, that band gets better, they blow up and you kind of, you and them both kind of take off at the same time, but there's like an age almost like an age factor in there where they were just too young, but they, that was the right time for them. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that could happen too, but to me that seems a little more rare. But I do think about that sometimes. It's like, it's cool that these smaller bands are coming in here and maybe they learned from me, like being in the studio, maybe they learned how to structure their songs or, you know, like, right. hey, a chorus actually has to hit and be catchy, you know, like... These are, you know, it sounds like really simple stuff to us because we do it every day. But like to some of these bands, like sometimes a light, you know, it's like a light switch and they, some people will get it. But that, that definitely does help. Like if the bands are young and uh, maybe nobody really cares about them until they do get more talented and maybe change out members so they can sound better live and, you know, yeah, all that I've, stuff. I've had that experience quite a bit of getting baby bands in here where the members are just they're just not mentally mature enough to do this right. 
just for you know maybe because they're 17 or 18 or yeah whatever i mean i know there's some 18 year olds they're who, like nine and ten <laughs> oh, god i hate i hate recording kids but but no i've definitely experienced that a few times where i'll record a band and give them the gordon ramsay approach of just you know destroy erase and prove basically yeah. uh yeah. and i can't say that that necessarily builds my relationship with them in the long term but i haven't had a single person who has stayed in the music industry come back and say that it didn't help them tremendously i've had kind yeah. of a similar experience but a little bit different al because i do a lot of band developing and i some of them really need that you know gordon ramsay kind of destroy and rebuild type of psychology and i find the bands that actually get through that and survive it and don't hate you for it, they learn and they grow from it and they say, hey, you know, this guy really gives a shit about us. And it makes the relationship, at least in my experience, closer because you can always go in with a hammer, but then rebuild them up with a feather and be like, listen, don't take it like this. I'm actually trying to help you because I really do care and I want to see you succeed. And I've had some some of my bands, for example, the Vinyl Theater, which we were talking about a few weeks ago. Um, those guys, when they came in, I hammered the crap out of them the first time and they came back a month and a half later and it was like the whole band was like three times better at writing, singing. It's like they did nothing other than I'm going to go home. We're going to show Joel. Wait till we get in the studio. We're going to knock that guy on his ass. And they did it. And you know, that's why they got signed to a major because they just, they took it right. And they really took that. Um, and not to heart, but passionately as a constructive criticism. And they knew that I cared. And, you know, we have an incredible relationship today and we're great friends. And, you know, I'm always a phone call away, you know, we with a band like that. And we just, hey, what's up? How are you guys doing? You know, what's going on on tour? What are your numbers? Blah, blah, blah. And we, it's, it's good to have those types of relationships with the bands because they will eventually take you with if you have if you develop it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've definitely had that happen and seen it happen a number of times. I guess uh, in the situations that I was referring to, the Gordon Ramsay approach, maybe, maybe I came on a little too, uh, too strong about it. But you know, who who knows really? <laughs> <laughs> did you, what did you do, Al? Did you like? Did you physically abuse them? Like, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. And you know what? Actually, uh, I just had a band here who recorded with somebody that I know out on the West Coast, who I'm buddies with, and they did some EP with him. And apparently, he was really mean to them. And, you know, told them that they sucked and that his band's way better than their band and that uh, told the guitar player that he's the worst engineer he's ever met and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, I never do that. Like, uh, I guess I could get brutal about, you know, the quality of what we're working on. You know, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's strictly pro. There's a fine line. Know? Absolutely. Like, that's too brutal. You know, you can't be mean, but you have to be tough sometimes yeah i don't think i i don't think i've ever actually told someone they were untalented uh i kind of let that be revealed to them <laughs> through the process give like, them the rope <laughs> to hang themselves with if they yeah, can actually like, see it <laughs> yeah uh i mean there was one time like a whole, so many years ago uh probably the worst vocalist i've ever recorded um i don't remember the name of the band but i ended up singing the lead vocals Holy crap. It was that bad. Is it out there with your voice on it? Yeah. Hope you got points. Oh, wow. I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's me. And then uh, we auditioned everybody in the band because 
I'm like, uh, you know, this isn't working. The dude was like literally tone deaf. Um, he was also the screamer, so he mostly screamed, but like they had singing choruses. So original. But uh, I, we uh, tried everybody out in the band, and it turned out that the drummer was the cl- close to being the best singer. Well, he was the best singer, but like he could hardly hit notes and stuff. But he had never sang before or recorded before or anything like that. So it's like a mixture of my voice with his like underneath it a little bit, just so they could you know have at least somebody from their band actually performing their music <laughs> yeah session producer but that that was brutal but I, I didn't tell the guy he sucked i mean i was like well you know like this isn't working out and uh everyone in the room kind of knew it you know it wasn't really a big mystery sometimes you have to be the bearer of bad news but you don't have to be a dickhead about it <laughs> right no, exactly like i'm thinking the only times that it's gotten personal for me has been when i think that the band member could die within the next six months if he doesn't change his drinking or something like that. <laughs> you know, not. It's I've never, had those. I have had those talks for sure. Like, yeah. I mean, look. Yes. If you're gonna like, if you've got a 19 year old that's drinking 24 beers a day and <laughs> oh and like half a bottle of vodka and is fucking up, and you know that they will be dead within 10 years because you know people that have been dead from the same thing. You have to say something about it. But as far as someone sucking at guitar and me being like, man, you shouldn't even be playing an instrument. Go back to school and do something else with your life because you have no future at this. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to. That's for Simon Cowell. I got a <laughs> McDonald's application on my wall and I just turn around and I point at it. I'm like, you see that? That's your future. Now don't fuck up next time. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Three points and, and then the kid just gives me the guitar and I play it for him. Be like, that's how you do it. And they go, okay, now go home and fucking practice because you're wasting my time and embarrassing yourself. <laughs> Dude, here's what here's one that I say to to bands. Whenever someone starts arguing with something that is like obviously a good idea, I'll just say, you know, look, I'm trying to make us all as much money as possible here. Like I'm not just trying to make a change for no reason. I'm trying to help all of our success in this situation. Yeah, I mean, if you really put it into perspective, uh yeah. they they kind of get it. <laughs> well, yeah. Al had a funny quote the first week. It's like in metal, it's the only genre where it's stupid to be, uh, you know, have any sort of commercial acceptance or try to make money playing music. Well, it's more like uh, the community. The community online is against any form of capitalism by the people who make the music. But that said, metal wouldn't be a genre if it didn't make money. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's almost like the artist is supposed to suffer or something. Well, I mean, the people the people who are say who say this stuff generally don't make a living off of their art and wish that they did and generally are just kind of bitter about the whole thing. It's not usually people who are employed making a living who have a problem with people being employed and making a living. Just people on the outside who don't understand, who have a very loud voice on the internet. But that said, that very loud voice on the internet is a you know a very real part of the community now in 2014. So, yeah, I definitely do think that in metal, it's very very interesting that being entrepreneurial in your approach and thinking about profit and those types of cool things can get you in some trouble. But you know, what are you gonna do? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. 
so that said, uh, I want to talk about some stuff that Andrew and I had talked about making profit and uh, having a, a good experience in the studio and trying to take it to the next level and all that wonderful stuff. I think that one of the ways that people prevent themselves from moving to the next step is how they organize their recording lives, both schedule-wise and on their computers, down to how they organize folders and track names, all the way to how they back stuff up. Like, There's ways that you can tweak your recording life to make it a very, very efficient and organized system to where you can only be worrying about the important stuff, or you can spend hours per day finding stuff and opening files that that don't work or load correctly and yeah. losing data and regretting how you set things up in the past well dude i remember before i got a lot better at organizing my sessions i calculated how much time was wasted per day on it and i realized somewhere in the 45 minutes to an hour range and if you factor Damn. that over the course of an album like 30 days or something in the studio. That's 30 hours. It's almost an entire work week spent yeah. on bullshit. Yeah. Organization, I'd say that um, that's like one of the first things. If anyone is asking me a question, you know, how do you, you know, how do you make awesome mixes or how do you do this? How do you do that? Step one, organize. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I guess, Joey, one thing that I think is interesting about your method of mixing, which I agree with and I just think it's I just think it's cool is that you mix pretty quickly but have a huge amount of time spent on getting the prep and the organization of the session perfect so that the the mix itself can be just that mixing. And I think I think that's cool and I think if more people focused on getting everything organized they could actually spend a lot more time well or a lot less time depending on how you look at it on the stuff that matters. Yeah. I'm just curious, actually, what, how many of you guys have somebody else organize your sessions? Do you do it yourself or do you have somebody else? Both, but uh, we're on the same page about how to do yeah. it. Yeah. I have a full-time assistant who preps literally everything that I touch, so I don't do any of that stuff anymore. He's amazing at it, and he speeds up the amount of songs that I can mix per day to, I would say, by about one and a half to two times as fast. It's pretty awesome. Can't live without him. Wow. I do it when uh, sometimes if I'm trying to, I guess, uh, forge new ground with session setup or whatever, then I'll start doing it myself. But I guess as a general rule, uh, I try to I try to not do it just because it takes a long time. I don't want the song to get in the way. That's the biggest thing. So if you know, if I'm trying to mix the song and the vocals aren't tuned, then I'm I don't want to like stop and have to edit the vocals. So yes. that's why, yeah, you got to have, um, it, it's just like you were saying on your creative live class. Yeah. Uh, you got to have everything prepped before you actually sit down to mix the song or it's going to get in the way. Absolutely. I think, but I think that that applies, that thinking applies across every single aspect of your recording life. I think that it's really important to have like a well-organized system of templates for starting. For example, if you're tracking drums, 
having all of your routing and stuff preset where you can just drop in. I use Cubase and they have a function called track archiving, which means you can set up a bunch of tracks and routing and auxes or group channels, or I only use Cubase. So I don't know how like Pro Tools or any of the other DAWs, what the correct terminology would be. But um, so you can just drop in an entire routing and set up and it, it's already going and you can just hit record, you know, so. Yeah, just, imagine if you had to spend 30 minutes every song setting that up. Right. Yeah. And then after you do the first song for the session, then you already have the template for the other, you know, nine or 15 songs or whatever on the rest on the record. So same thing with mixing, you know, having like a basic setup where you can plug it in, having all of your routing ready to go and you can hit play and it's, you know, already routed where you need it. It makes a huge difference in the amount of time spent and you can just start mixing instead of and being creative instead of like oh man hold on um this kick drum you know we didn't check the phase on it or you know this is why the vocals out of tune you know you don't have to focus on that stuff yeah in uh in pro tools land uh we use a session session data transfer uh or transfer session data actually <laughs> I, I just yeah. uh, i was thinking i was uh thinking import session in data, another right? language yep yeah Joey, what do you use? What DAW do you use? I'm in Cubase too. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, uh, I actually one of the things um, that's really annoying about Cubase is whenever you do a drum session, sometimes it doesn't save all of the inputs. So, oh God. Yeah. Oh. So if you've got your kick on like input four, and then your snares on input one, and then like all the shit, yeah. Every time you open the song, you have to like reset it by manually. That's and it interesting because really I've never had that problem before. That it sucks. Always works for me. <laughs> yeah, that's well, really annoying. That must be something that they fixed in one of the versions, but the version that I was using at least last year was doing that every time, and it was so it sucked so much. I but would kill. <laughs> what here's what I did is I got my assistant to actually remember it by like just off the top of his head and every time it needed to be done i was like get in here do it because i don't want to like you know get out of my headspace of of the drum tracks or whatever i'm trying to accomplish so i would just you know step out grab some coffee come back in it would be fixed you know in pro tools there's there's a little just a i call it a really little but big annoying thing that has to do with routing and IO, which is when you bring in a session from someplace else. Yes. I know it'll what you're going to say. Yeah. It'll bring in their IO stuff. So oh my God. In oh. Pro Even Tools, if you tell it not to. Have yes. you done that before? Yes. You tell it not to and it does it anyway. That's why you have to, once you have your IO routings, the way you like them, you have to save them. Yep. And you have to save them, get this, in a different folder than the default folder because sometimes Pro Tools will just delete them. <laughs> wow, I've never had that happen. But yes, that's scary. I've had that happen several times. So I always back up my my bus routing on like my Dropbox or something because my shit is really complicated. Your shit is really efficient. I've seen how you work. Thank you. You you actually, I'll just go and say that uh, Andrew's session organization has influenced me greatly. Uh, when I had him mix something for me back maybe about a year ago or something or yeah, yeah. no it was january 1st wasn't it what it, when i went to your house to maybe. have you mix that one song that was driving me insane i yeah. think it was Jan literally january 1st and uh wow you showed me your mix your your mix routing and it, it blew my mind and it actually changed how i how i do things i feel it's, honored yeah it's it's great
Do you want to elaborate, Andrew, on your setup? It'd be interesting, I think, probably for the listeners, if you could give a tidbit on how you have your stuff organized. Yes, I might be putting some people out of a job after <laughs> I explain this, too. Um, <laughs> <What do> you... <laughs> oh, well. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, one of the biggest, one of the most annoying things to do... Now, I know Pro Tools and Cubase are different, and uh, I actually use Cubase for a little bit because uh, I actually was trying to get more organized and Pro Tools didn't have enough buses because of how many I use. Um, and uh, so I was trying to switch to Cubase uh, and I saw a bunch of cool, this is beside the point, but Cubase has a bunch of cool like output uh, options that Pro Tools doesn't have for yeah. like bounces and stuff. Um, however, uh, this same concept will work for Cubase or any uh, DAW that you're using um, and it's just a simple logic here. So the most annoying thing that I ever have had to do is make click tracks, make stems, make a master, make an unmaster, make an instrumental, um, you know, all those really annoying things that we always have to make. So the way I use it, I make all of that stuff with one bounce. And I don't know if you guys do something like that or not, but... Yes, now I do. Yeah. Uh, so what I do is... This is a great example of uh, of extreme organization that allows you to really make your workflow really efficient. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can bounce stems for an album either in one full day or one full hour. Right. Or that's what I mean, because uh, you can hire someone to do this, or you can literally do it all with literally one bounce. Make the computer do the work. Yes. So, like, click tracks. We all know how annoying that is. But anyway, I actually called up this dude, uh, this archiving dude, who all he does is talk about archiving, like how you send files. And he, he gave out some checklists to me about how he wanted the sessions and uh, files organized. He does stuff for, like, major labels and in indie labels and stuff. And I actually uh, had some problems with the list he sent because it wasn't efficient enough. And I, <laughs> wow. called, him, I called him to tell him what was wrong with uh, what he was telling everyone to do because it was a uh, eventually failing system because it, it had a time limit on it. It was not a classic solution, if that makes sense. I, I'll tell you more about that in a second. But uh, the way that I bounce down all this stuff at once is uh, it's really simple. Let's talk about mastering for a second. I have all of my main buses, every single track in all my sessions go to a bus. Nothing just goes to the master. Nothing. So everything is going to a bus in some way, except for the buses. The buses go to the master. They don't actually hit the master first. They go to what I call pre-mains one, which is before the mains one. Um, everything is routing to this one bus, and I can do anything with it. I can put mastering effects on it, uh, or I cannot, for instance. So I have... All the buses going to pre-mains one, and then I have pre-mains one go to pre-mains two, and then pre-mains two goes to the master. And let me explain why I do this. Say you set up an audio track within Pro Tools or whatever you're using, and you set the input for pre-mains one. So that means all your buses are just going straight to that audio track, and it's just unmastered. Now, you can put stuff on pre-mains one, which is going out to pre-mains two, set up an audio track with pre-mains 2 as the input, suddenly you can record a master and an unmaster at the same time. Right. Now, this gets more complicated 
whenever you talk about stems. Like all the vocals will have, the bus will go out, it'll just be called stem lead singing. You know, I'll put that on the send and that bus will go out to an audio track and I'll record that. And you do that for and you do that for every instrument. Yes, the the keys get all that, the uh, acoustic, lead guitars, rhythm guitars, bass, drums, whatever. Do you actually use those as the mix or are they just like muted, turned down stem holder? They're muted. They're always in the session but muted. They're, okay. I just have every the way I organize everything is just way up at the top. Uh, and I just have I have the tracks really small and just muted. So you still have control over the actual mix that doesn't that isn't affected by the stems. Like for example, if you wanted to group, let's say you group like five different vocal tracks as your lead vocal stem, um, but somewhere else in your session you have control over like all the vocal volume without having to access that stem fader, right? Yeah. Okay. I would just group I would just group the uh, buses to change that volume. Gotcha. And then for the instrumental, I literally just have, you know, everything has its own bus and it's just the the thing is except for the vocals and it's just called, you know, the instrumental. That's what I named the bus. Oh cool. So you're printing instrumentals too. Yes. Everything imaginable. Yeah. So once you have your setup like that, you just record, you just arm all the tracks and record it all at once. It's like God mode. <laughs> yeah. And then for the click, I have, and this is in Pro Tools, I have a click that's muted all the time, but I have a bus going out from the click. So I can mute the click, but enable the click, and it will be recording onto the click track. And I, this, this, the click track is called Click L Samples R just so the band knows what side the click and samples are on. Um, and the click is just going to the left. And then what, say, let, let's say the keys are what we want for the samples, and that will all be panned hard right. When I'm done, my click track is done. I have two click tracks set up because uh, one goes to the master and one doesn't go to anything. It only goes to the, uh, the click track that's being recorded. So I can turn the click on and bounce the song down I could even hear the click if I wanted to, and it wouldn't be in the master track. It would only be recording to the click track. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really cool. That's um, I think that's kind of the dream setup that everyone wants but can't figure out. Yeah, it's very awesome. Andrew, are you mixing all ITB or hybrid or OTB or what's your setup? Uh, I'm mixing all in the box. So, I mean, I'm sure if you're mixing out of the box too, that, that makes complicated <laughs> yeah but you can still send all those things to buses you know what i mean like there's no yeah. excuse to not have that as an option and like, you can print all the out the out of the box stuff right i don't know if you guys have ever a all you may have run into this but What's sometimes that? you're bouncing down a song and it'll get to a certain point in the song and it will error out like every time i've had that happen and i don't know why it happens that's why i don't bounce to disc that's why uh, yeah for the past few years I've been recording back into Pro Tools and then exactly. ex- and then exporting. And yeah. apparently not only for that reason that it could drop out in the middle and then you got to do it all over again, uh, I've heard that the sound quality diminishes during bounce as opposed oh. I've heard that. I don't know if it's yeah. true. Well, I mean, it's obviously exactly what's happening in Pro Tools if you're recording it to Pro Tools. Yes. And whenever you do it like that, you can also like if a band wants to change one small thing, you highlight that part in the mix down and just bounce that down, consolidate it all, and you have the new mix with 
you know, if in faster than real time. Yeah, you can punch into your own mix, basically, and you don't have to rebounce. I mean, yeah, rebounce the entire track through the length of the track. And that's actually one of the things during mixed notes that used to take a really long time before I started recording back into Pro Tools was, uh, you know, you do the notes and then you have to bounce out the whole song. And if you're doing like six to 10 versions of a song times how many songs there are on an album, just the bouncing time is pretty tremendous. Yeah, can we get the vocals one dB louder on the whole record, please? <laughs> yes. That never yeah, happens. What? <laughs> yeah, let's arbitrarily change the volume of things for no reason. Sounds great. <laughs> I bet. See, I don't have this set up. Have you ever considered adding a vocal up bounce to this setup? No, but you you could. Yeah. You you absolutely could do that. You could do. I'm also thinking about making it a master and unmastered instrumental. I just haven't set it up like that because no one's ever requested it. And I think that's a little, that might be a little over the top because when I, when I give bands their files, they get all this stuff. Like I just do it, whether they ask for it or not, they get an automatic click track and all the stems. Um, and it's just like a nice little package for them whenever they're done. So if they, if they do, I've been thinking about it like this, if they do want a, a mastered instrumental track, I may just charge extra for that because I feel like that's, that's not a common thing to ask for. So yeah. That's that's why I haven't set it up. It takes extra time. Yeah. But if I did have it set up like that, I could just bounce down everything except for that. And then when they want it, I could just send it to them. So either way, I'm all about saving time. And this has saved me so much time. I used to have an intern to do this stuff for me, like make stems and shit. And now it's all like... Automated. Do you cover this anywhere, um, like in your creative live classes or anything like that? No, but like I love this shit. So uh, I, I'm glad that we're having this podcast because uh, I want to talk about it. But I, I don't have this covered anywhere. Um, and I would I would even share my template that I, that I use with people. But I just I haven't had it anywhere to talk about it. And I don't think it would fill up a two-day class on Creative Live. Probably not. But I will say that for anyone who watched my mixing class on Creative Live, with which actually two of you guys were guests on, that there is a template that I gave out on day one that has some of that in there. It's kind of similar. Um, because day one was all about session prep and all that. So there's a good amount of routing stuff in there. So anyone who's listening to this, who bought that class and has that template, you can uh, listen to what Andrew's saying and look at the template I gave you and put the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. It's a simple idea. It sounds complicated when you say it, but it's a really simple idea. It just takes time to set up. Yeah. And once you set it up, just save it. And I, I modify my thing too, my template all the time. I even have like some sample, like some bass drops and stuff I use all the time in my template. So like I don't have to go search for those or anything. Yeah. Uh, it just saves so much time. And if I could really quick talk about uh, wh- how I like to send files out to be mixed. Oh, this is huge because we, we get songs all the time that are fucked up. And this is just my opinion. You got, If you guys don't agree, that's fine. But... This is basically what I called that dude about that I was telling you. Mm-hmm. How to send out files and what exactly to send out. What he wanted was like sessions with the files uh, bounced down in them or something really weird that I've never even done before. But they wanted the sessions for like, I don't know, whatever, like MIDI data or something. But uh, what I do is I try to think in long term, like we were talking about earlier. 
like if you had to open your session in 20 years, you probably wouldn't be able to open it. You know what I mean? So if I'm sending something out, I think in the same way, what is this person using? I don't know. It shouldn't matter. They should be able to, to work with what I sent. And this is what I sent. So I sent all the, the things that are expected, like all the DIs and, uh, all the just the regular audio files that you know vocal tracks all that stuff that you have already consolidated um it's very organized labeled in a way i actually want to talk about a really a quick organization thing that i do with vocals because i like whenever you look in the audio file folder i like to to uh organize them alphabetically and almost see my session in the audio files if that makes sense totally yeah what I do is, you know, like some people will just put like for vocals, they'll put Vox in front of it and then like main singing one, main singing two. Uh, but I went a step further and I will put Vox A main singing for singing and then Vox B for like backups and then Vox C for screaming, et cetera, et cetera. So you have all the vocals in the same spot in the audio folder. But they're all organized according to singing, backups, screaming, or group vocals. So when you sort by alphabetical... It's um, all perfectly organized for you. Yeah. Yeah, you, cool. You, it's like, here's the vocal section, and each, you know, each different vocal style is organized within this, the, the section. That's how I like to do it, too. Yeah, I love to see files just super organized. There is no question about what is what. Um, and that saves everybody time. So if in your template you are labeling your tracks like this already, you don't have to do it later, you know? Like, it's already labeled. That's why I love to use templates so I'm not having to, to rename very much stuff. Andrew, I wish everybody thought like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <sighs> okay, so let's go back. So uh, we'll, we'll organize the, the audio files like that. Super organized, super clear, deleting unused regions, only bouncing down things that you want mixed. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but when other people mix your stuff, they mess it up really bad, no matter what you try to do. Yep. Um, except actually, Joey, one of the mixes you did for me was one of my favorite mixes that anyone's mixed for me, which was the Air I Breathe. Thank you, just so you know. You're welcome. I had a blast with that. <laughs> awesome. And I probably wasn't as organized back then, but anyway, the easiest way that I can think of and that I've done to keep people from messing things up is, for instance, if I absolutely love the way the group vocals came out with my processing on them, I will bounce down the group vocals with the processing on them. Same thing with like backup vocals. If like we have some really awesome reverb and delay on it and I love the way it sat in the mix and it's not like a main thing, you know what I mean? Like main vocals, I'll print that just like that. And if they need those separate files, I'll send them. Yeah, if you have it as a send, it is on its own thing. So if they didn't want to use your delay and reverb settings, they could just not use that track, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't send it on the send. I send it exactly how I think it should sound finished. Okay. Like, you don't even have to touch it. You just put it in your mix, and it will sound great. But if they don't like it, I'll just send them the individual tracks. The send thing is cool, too, but it's not as exact. Gotcha. Because, you know, they, they will probably mix the effects in differently than you did. But if you really like the exact wetness of the reverb, you know what I'm saying? Then they'll just leave it. And usually, and I'm sure you're probably like this, Joey, um, the bullshit like that, 
like uh, keys and stuff that you didn't program. Um, it's really fucking annoying to mess with that stuff because you don't know what was going through those people's heads. They're sending you a hundred tracks of keys. I don't know how exactly you mix this stuff and you listen to the, the bounce down they sent. Sometimes they don't send one. Um, and then, and then you just try to match what they had. You know what I mean? It's just like, to me, that's bullshit. And that's not what I want to mix when I'm mixing. I want to mix the drums, the guitars and the main vocals and the bass that those are like. That's the beef of the song in rock. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you can make that shit sound good, you've got a good mix. If the other stuff already sounds fucking sick, when, like when you're doing rough stuff, chances are it will still sound sick in the final thing. So I like to think of it from the mixer's perspective when I'm sending shit out. I want their version of their drums on my mix. You know what I mean? So um, that's just kind of what I do. I can tell you that times that I've had people send me stuff like that where it's already sounding pretty finished, I feel like it could go either way. If they really suck at recording, then obviously you don't want their sounds. Exactly. It depends. Yeah, it always depends. Yeah, if I was getting something from you or whatever, like uh, from any one of you guys or somebody else that's good, of course. Why yeah. not? Why not? Yeah, I can't. I can't recommend this technique for everybody. But I've had enough people mix my stuff that uh, they really messed things up that I thought were special and had a cool feel to them. And so to me, that's a way to prevent it. I had a big problem with virtual instruments with that. You know, sometimes you get like a piano or whatever, and it sounds like absolute fucking dog shit. And then sometimes people will use really good sounds and you'll be like, wow, that sounds incredible. And you'll just be like, there it is, done. So it's really all over the board, um, especially when you're mixing people that like home record that aren't necessarily audio professionals, but, you know, they, they dabble enough and they want you to kind of mix their stuff professionally. It's really hit or miss. I mean, sometimes you get sounds and you're just like, what synth creates something that yeah. Horror sounding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In those situations, I would request, you know, something different. Sometimes I'd ha if I'm mixing something for another band and they literally have like over a hundred synth tracks, I'm like, hey, can you just send me all these bounced how you had them? And then if I need to tweak a certain thing in there, I'll just ask for it without that because I already have all these files and all I have to do is tweak this one thing. We should say that there's one thing. Um, that people should stop doing, and this is really annoying, is they'll send you the, the meat and potatoes, like you're saying, and then a shitload of MIDI files with no sounds that go along with it. Oh. Um, <laughs> yes. That happened like, to me what? last week. <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell are you doing? I can't read your mind. I don't know what you want. <laughs> I don't like that piano, That's bro. That's hilarious. Different piano, bro. Well, why didn't you fucking send it the first time how you wanted it? <laughs> let's, okay, so really quick, actually, let's talk about MIDI because we mentioned that a few times. Um, th that's another thing that I send out. So I send out the uh, audio files, like how we talked about, and then the other thing that I send out is uh, a MIDI track. Now, in Pro Tools, I don't know how this is for other programs, but all you have to do is go to, like, File Export MIDI, and it just exports a MIDI file that has all your MIDI files in the session labeled how you had them and the markers and the tempo changes all within one file. So whenever the mixer does import all of your audio tracks and then they open the MIDI file, they can also get the tempo and the tempo changes and the markers within the song and all of your MIDI tracks just in one file that yeah. is very small. So you don't need a session to get the MIDI from 
anybody. I hate opening other people's sessions. Yeah. So I figure <laughs> other people feel the same way. Yes. And I send a MIDI file, and that has all that information in it already. So that's why the dude that w- that I was talking to, that was one of the reasons he wanted the sessions, because of that information. But that's not always going to be something you can open. MIDI's been around since like 1983, and it hasn't changed. They've been talking since about uh, two, 2005, like a new version of MIDI. I don't think it's out yet, but it's called like HD MIDI or HD Protocol, something like that. Um, and it's going to have more features, but it's backwards compatible and all that stuff. Anyway, long story short, MIDI is a classic technology, and it seems like they have plans of keeping that around for a while. So that's what I'm investing in whenever I send stuff out to mixers and archiving my own stuff, because that's what I can open later. That's what they can open. So that's the way I think of that stuff. And I also send out a really good rough mix. That's super huge. Before we talk about the rough mix, let me just add something about MIDI for non-Pro Tools users, because I've had to do some stuff in Logic, and it was very tough to send out, uh, you know, uh, send out tempo tracks, and sometimes there's been problems transferring those tempo tracks between songs, and a good way to get around that, I just noticed this is a, somehow this worked, is if uh, you're having a hard time loading in a tempo map from somebody else on a different DAW or vice versa, what you do is create a MIDI track and put a note at the zero point and then a note, uh, any random note, you know, past where your music ends and then export that as a file. And then once you import that into the other DAW, all the tempo date information should uh, work out and line up. Yeah. It's a, in case things aren't lining up for whatever reason, because I've had that happen sometimes. Yeah. Another backup um, is to do an audio click because at least at the bare minimum, if, if none of the special files, none of the MIDI data, none of that stuff works at the end of the day, you can just import the audio click. And if, I mean, if you really had to just manually line up, the grid to the audio. Yeah, hopefully you never have to do that, but... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's good to get in the habit of having that, though, just as a backup. Yeah. Well, with uh, the, the way my template's set up, that could be done in a single click. Totally. I'm wondering about this. I always try to add at least four bars of silence at the beginning of every song for things like what I'm talking about, just putting a single note on the MIDI tracks at the very beginning of the uh, of the track to so that uh, no matter what DAW is importing the MIDI that that all the tracks are stems so that the MIDI exports as a stem as well and I think that I think that that's very important if people think about MIDI tracks as something that needs to be stemmed like audio I think that that makes much more sense. So I don't know. Have you ever imported MIDI and it just doesn't line up or the tempo data is oh, not yeah. attached and it's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. I tried an experiment once because I've got both Logic and Pro Tools here. I wanted to I wanted to see for myself for once, like, where does this get lost in translation? Because why is this always a problem? And are these people who keep fucking this up stupid? <laughs> 
and I'm being, or am I just being an <laughs> asshole, or do I just not understand? So I took a song, I recorded and mixed in Pro Tools, and I exported the MIDI, and you know, with the tempo map, and I just figured I could just load it into Logic, and it would all be there. But none such luck. It didn't really import the data properly, and the MIDI file started where the first note was. But since I didn't have a first note at the, you know, as a stem at the beginning of the file at the zero point, the MIDI just started at the beginning. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all messed up. That's a good. That's a good note. Yeah. So I I've experienced this firsthand of switching DAWs, and I've seen that the way they interpret MIDI coming in from another DAW can get kind of weird, and I don't know why, because MIDI is MIDI, right? So as long as you have that marker at the beginning... Then you're good. Then it should be fine. That is a good tip. Thank you. Yeah. You know what the worst is, is when you get, like, a drum... If a, if a band uses, like, program drums, and you get a drum MIDI from, like, fucking Guitar Pro or some shit like that, and you try to drop it in, and it's just completely fucked up, and it adds all these modifiers and all this stuff. You don't even know what's going on. You're like, why is... uh. You know, why is that dropping out right there? And then you find some modifier that's on like aftertouch or something like that. And you're like, what the fuck? You know, it's supposed <laughs> to just be a, a bass drum. It's just C1, you know, it blows my mind how complicated importing MIDI can be and how much time I spend personally. Like I said, especially the kids who bring in program drums and things like that, just trying to sort out what the hell is what and what's supposed to be routed. What, like, why do you have five China hits on the China thing? But then all of a sudden the note changes for three random hits and then goes back. Like <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, it's, it's strange. Also, I got to say that I have noticed, I've noticed that the tempo is not consistent from DAW to DAW. 130 BPM in Pro Tools is not necessarily 130 BPM in something else. Well, I think and, what it is is uh, some DAWs will show 129.99999 as 130. Ugh, God, um, that's disgusting. Yeah, and so when you import it, it's not the right. I mean, they don't line up. Uh, by the time you get to the end of the song, there's like an extra two seconds, and, and it's weird. So, Well, whenever I've imported MIDI from a band's Guitar Pro, for instance, you know, to get their pre-pro up on my rig, like weird tempos will show up, like 132.57982. Like, what the? <laughs> Do you guys really pick that tempo for this part? <laughs> like, you know, so yes. I've just noticed that when you get MIDI from different places, it can be kind of strange. So, you know, don't just accept it for what it is. You yeah, should. don't trust other people's MIDI either. Like, at least... Um, I mean, if it was coming from Andrew, I would totally trust it. But if a band is sending me something, the very first step I do with any of the MIDI is clean it up, uh, remove all the bullshit, make sure that the, um, you know, like you'll, you'll look at a pattern, a kick pattern, and it looks like it's pretty much on the grid, like 16th notes. And then you zoom in and realize, oh, they just drew it with a pencil and they didn't even like snap it to <laughs> how does so that happen you can never really trust how does it. that happen i just don't understand it does i don't get it i have a rule that helps is when you have a band actually you know like in the studio with you and they bring you midi um if they do their production work on a laptop which at least in my experience is most kids um, I say, bring your fucking laptop, because if you don't always, bring it always. and I import your MIDI, I, I'm screwed. But I can say, oh, OK, you screwed up in Guitar Pro. Here's how you actually export the MIDI. Click this, click that. And the kid goes, oh, I didn't know that. And you're like, 
I will kill. <laughs> yeah. You know, our jobs are really like that movie, Fifty First Dates, where like every band is like the same band, but they just lost their memory and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> but you already told them how to do it. It could drive someone yeah. insane. Could? <laughs> or has. <laughs> it does. I'm sure it has. So uh, I cut you off when you were about to start talking about rough mixes. Yes. But let's, yeah, we, we talked about MIDI a little longer. I, I kind of want you guys' uh, feedback. Let me just tell you how I feel, and then I would love to see what you think. Uh, so anytime I'm doing a production, I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, I am where I am in my career, but when I'm doing something and producing a band, like, there are a lot of parts in the songs, like, let's say transition-wise, they need to feel a certain way, and so I feel like it's really important to convey that feeling to the mixer, but what is the best way to me, uh, the best way is to actually do it and show them. So I try to get that kind of stuff in the rough mix, like, uh, you know, like some kind of like swells or like, I don't know, like when a chorus hits and you want it to like pop out a little bit more or, or like how, how loud a lead is when it comes in or, you know, all that stuff. To me, I go like I go through. We're in the studio. We're writing stuff. We're vibing on this stuff, and we're getting it to sound a certain way on purpose. And I want the mixer to kind of copy that feeling, at least for like how parts will hit or transition. So that's my uh, logic behind doing a really good rough mix. What do you guys think? Like when you mix other people's stuff, do you like getting a rough mix? What do you do when you send stuff out? Like what's been your experience? Yeah, this is something that Al and I talked about in detail. Basically, it comes down to this. I think the mix itself comes out the way it should when a rough mix is involved because the mixer... There's two sides of this, too. There's people who think um, a mix comes out better when somebody approaches the song cold yeah. and blind. And then there's other people who think that all the time spent between the band and the producer making that rough mix is is kind of the mix. I tend to lead towards the latter because I know that I wasn't there during the session. I didn't have all the conversations required to figure out how loud that lead should be and if you know, does it fight with the vocals and and when you listen to the rough mix you're going to hear like what you can improve, but you're also going to hear what they sort of set up as the scene. What they envisioned. Yeah, what they envisioned, originally envisioned. And that's super important to the mix because you're not going to take a 100 files and put them in your DAW and figure that out on your own. The only way you're going to figure it out is to hear how they wanted it to be. And just make, and then your job is to facilitate that and make it better. Right. Yeah, that's how I look at it. I feel like whenever i've uh when 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 i was sending stuff out for i don't want to talk about this too much because i probably already know what you guys are going to say but when we were getting <laughs> uh rough mixes for the ghosts and sides new album which comes out november 17th called dear youth um that i produced with jeremy mckinnon we were getting test mixes for that from a bunch of different mixers and i sent out what i thought was a great rough mix and I could tell when I got the mixes back that nobody listened to it. Oh, my God. Nobody. And I'm just blown away. Like, transitions are completely wrong. Like, 
a vocal will be way louder than it should have been and a, a lead will be way quieter or missing completely like just totally ruining the vibe like and i feel like most mixers that we worked with at least for that stuff i mean randy staub was one of them like they just didn't get the vibe like they didn't it they didn't match anything at all like and it there were definitely parts that were worse like that's disappointing yes i don't understand it like what do you guys think about that why if someone like andrew is sending you a rough mix or like any producer of note is sending you a rough mix you should probably listen to it because there's probably a reason they're sending it to you and i think that these days especially with the fact that bands do pre-pro on their own and do synth work on their own and a lot of them have like a guy who can do some kind of decent stuff you know maybe good at electronics or whatever they bands will have a vision for how they want things to be mixed. And to ignore that is to ignore the band's vision, I think. Absolutely. I think it helps to, for when you talk, sit down with the band and you're going to mix their record, I, I always like to just get on the phone and be like, okay, what do you guys want this to sound like? Before I listen to any roughs, because I kind of take the rough mixing process more towards the end of the mix. So like when I hear the tracks, I want to get inspired by it, listen to the song and be like, okay, I'm going off that feel of that track. What inspires me? What am I hearing? What am I feeling? And then as I've got everything framed and kind of like, I want this drum sound and this and that, then I kind of go in and I listen to the rough and be like, okay, you know, what kind of balances are they looking for? You know, are they guitars up band? Are they a bass and drums band? Are they a vocals and everything else needs to be completely an audible band? And that's where, you know, like I said, I like to get my basic framing and EQ and stuff like that and just the vibe of the track really first because um if you hear the rough mix it can influence the decisions you make and i don't know sometimes i feel like that can be detrimental as well as i mean it, there's a, the positive side i guess point is though that you're still using it whether whether you're using it at the beginning to set the mix up or you're using it at the end to then refine things to match their vision you're still using it it's not the like point is you should use it yeah, yeah. totally I, I at least I think so. Otherwise, why was it made? <laughs> I know. Why do you think I sent it? Like, and then when bands don't send it, I get really mad because I'm like, what? Like, there's no notes, no rough mix. Like, what am I going off of here? Like, I have no idea what this is supposed to sound like at all. Yeah, I totally agree. There'll be a band that like doesn't even speak English, so like <laughs> the only the only thing I can do is like listen to a rough mix, really, because they can't communicate what they want to me. Like, please. Why are you doing this to me? Mixing foreign bands is so challenging because, well, for a multitude of reasons, but the, the communication and language barrier is one because sometimes they'll say something and then you'll give them what that you think they want. They're like, no, 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 this is wrong. It's supposed <laughs> to be like this. I meant this. And you you're like, the opposite. oh, I guess I could see how that could mean that. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's never a big deal. I mean, some people make such a big deal out of like re revisions and balances and things like that. And yeah, people need to chill out. <laughs> they don't understand that. Like you can just go boop, 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 boop on the faders and, you know, it takes two minutes and you're way more in their head. You have to give them something to go off of at first to get it. Okay, guys, here's where I'm at. You know, what do you want to hear? I can take it any way, but I've got a solid mix. Now I need to know what your preferences are. This is another important part of, of being organized is when you have your session set up in such a way that you can actually approach notes in a, I guess, a sane way, because I, I know how notes can drive, drive you insane. Um, <laughs> 
But <laughs> when your session is is clean and fucking organized, and people are telling you to turn this up and turn this down and and fix this, fix that. If your session is organized and, and everything, it's going to be really easy, and that's super important, um, at least for the final product. Yeah, and especially with importing track data, if you have the same name tracks from session to session, I know some people like Will Putney record everything in one session for an album, but whenever you're importing between session to session, if you don't have the same names uh, of the tracks, uh, that could be really really annoying and oh, oh, yeah. a big mess to figure out. It, it can take a long time. I, I got to say also that RE mix notes and making that a more pleasant experience for everybody, there's there's ways to get the band to communicate the mix notes or for you to communicate mix notes to a mixer that make life way easier. And I think <laughs> when you've got, uh, when you're dealing with a band, it's important to state how you want them up front and to have a good a good way of going about things. So Yeah, communication is huge well, too. Well, one thing I yeah, but you got to show some people how to do it. You can't just you can't just tell them because they won't necessarily understand. So, for no. instance, I will I, I I tell people don't text me mixed notes. Uh, mixed <laughs> notes have to come from one person only. And uh, and they have to all come at once for a song, you know. Like it's not like one day you give me half the mix notes for that song, and then two days later, oh this, and three days later, oh that. Oh, that's not, horrible. Yeah, oh my god, and, I hate that. So yeah, they <laughs> they have to come from one main contact. They have to come at the same time, meaning they listen to it long enough to get their notes actually together. And three, I like to do it in Google Docs because I've noticed that if you don't do it in Google Docs, you end up with email chains that are like 70 emails long and you miss some or you forget certain things because it's like, you remember what I said about the kick drum like five emails ago? Did you do that? It's like, <laughs> what? Uh, so yeah, if you are in a Google Doc, then the mixed notes are there. You can you check them off as you do them in real time. And every even write notes about the notes. Like yeah. I don't understand what you mean. Please rephrase. Like I that's that's. I just had a note nightmare. Oh my god! I well, think that's I a great had, idea, Al. That's I really like the idea of having a Google Docs because you can you know hey you guys. So, so many times you get a mixed note that's completely undefined and not clear. It doesn't make sense. Like turn up Steve's vocals and you don't know the band. You're just the mixer. It's not like, labeled well, as Steve. <laughs> yeah. Who the hell is Steve? Yeah. I mean, there's three guys singing and they're all kind of sound the same. So who's Steve? You didn't give me a time. You just turned Steve's voice up. We want it to be lo-fi here. Well, pff, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thanks. you know, another thing I do with that, um, as far as the Google Doc goes, I take it a step further and I will, first of all, organize their whole album on the doc. I'll put every single song on there so that they don't need to try to make an outline uh, or whatever. So they don't need to worry about trying to organize a document because, you know, sometimes these, uh, these skills escape band people. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. then I will add sample notes at the top. So... Uh, and I'll tell them that if they want me to understand what they're saying, this is the best way to do it. So I'll say, time, section of the song, 
instrument, what? Yeah. Or, you know, or if it's a general note, then, you know, put general at the uh, at the front. Yeah. And that, you know, that it's a lot easier if they're like 108, snares need to come up for the blast beat or whatever. That's way easier to understand and very easy to execute rather than something about the snare just doesn't feel right. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're aware that that snare is I'm a little sure, bit yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It concerns sure. me greatly that that snare drum isn't quite how I envisioned it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, I think I'm in denial about bands and their knowledge because sometimes I just think, oh, they'll figure out what they need to do for the notes, and then no, I get, <laughs> I get scarred, and so I just have to go back to explaining. Because like sometimes you'll get along with a band really well, you know what I mean, and. And you think, oh, they get it, and uh, I don't know. It's just so annoying. I, it's that uh, the fifty first dates thing, man. I just feel like, like it drives me so crazy. Like, what? well, the, <laughs> when we say being organized, uh, we're not just talking about like what order your tracks are in. We're talking about the whole business, the whole thing. Like, uh, how do you handle notes? How do you communicate with the band? How do you? Yeah. Uh, you know, how do you communicate ideas from the song to other people? All those kind of things uh, are wrapped into a big organizational package. Um, yeah. Even down to, you know, when you wake up, how do you get to the studio? How how does the the band get to the studio? Where are they staying? Like all that stuff um, really will change the outcome of the of the project. For sure. Super important. And it's up to you, really, man. You can't expect I don't know, like, I've fallen victim, too, to expecting the band to... Just know certain things. To know certain things. And I I now blame... I totally blame myself for that mistake, because yeah. I, I've definitely caused myself problems by assuming that they would just know a certain thing. So I feel like it's on us, as the guys running the sessions, to have all that stuff figured out and just assume that they don't know anything. I mean, it would be nice to be paid just to be creative, but you're being paid to be a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. There's no escaping that. The label is is going to hire you and pay you because they know um, the band is basically a bunch of children running around with their heads on fire and that you're going to be the parents <laughs> to whip them into shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even in a session full of 40-year-olds that I just had here recently, it's the same thing. The I feel like that parent-child relationship between producer and band is true. It's not just with 18-year-olds. Yeah. Um, it's it just <laughs> it, it it is it is what it is. Um I'm wondering also if uh if we could talk about this for a second because uh, I guess I guess a lot of people are confused about this. They don't understand what, uh, how to, well, let me rephrase it. A lot of people don't understand how to communicate with a mastering engineer. And I know that, uh, Joe, I know that you master your own stuff. Joel, do you master your own stuff? Yeah, I hate mastering engineers. They always screw my shit up, so. Okay, Andrew, I know that you've had that problem of having your stuff mutilated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... I'm in search of new methods recently. I think we we all have had our stuff mutilated at some point. Um, but I just want to cover real quick because I, I see that you you and I have talked about this before too, is 
how to, if you're going to be using a mastering engineer, uh, how to get them their stuff in a way that uh, makes life easier for them. And I think that it's important to, to just note that mastering is not a creative process. And I've, have you ever had a band send mixed notes to a mastering guy? No, I haven't. I did once, uh, just a quick side note. I was sending a mix to... Actually, yes, that did happen. I just remembered. Okay, so yeah, people don't understand what mastering is or what... Well, I've had people try to... Um, this And this drives me crazy. They'll be like, uh, instead of sending you just a stereo wave file, can I send you like the the kick, snare, toms, and cymbals, and then the bass, and then the guitars. And I'm like, wait, are you paying me <laughs> to mix this or master this? Because I don't want that much control. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's 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 kind of fucked up. Uh, the, 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 situation I, <laughs> the situation I was talking about was mixed a record, and then we were getting masters back from the dude to decide a direction to go on. And we were on an email chain and the band writes to him at two minutes, 30 seconds. Can we have a crowd chant in this part? <laughs> we want it to sound super epic. Uh, so, uh, uh, this is amazing. I, quit. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it, but it just goes to show people don't know what a mastering engineer is. I've gotten mixed notes like that, though, before where they... There won't be group vocals, and they'll tell me, "Hey, it would be cool if if you added them here." Like, <laughs> yeah, let me go outside call right your now. Producer yeah, I'm like, I'm not doing up. that. I am not doing that. You send them, and I'll mix them in. That's it. Well, yeah, that's that's amazing. By any chance, have you ever indulged a request like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Depends on what it is. If it's a good idea and you can do it. If someone is like, "Hey, can you add like a bass drop here?" That's not hard to do. So just fucking put it on there but when they're like hey can you go through the whole song and and like add like choirs and want. fucking strings and stuff i'm like no like <laughs> yeah no, yeah nothing that's really involved uh but i have had a band like some bands were like uh when i first started doing mastering i would get like really terrible mixes from bands and uh there was nothing i could do really to make it sound any better so I would just like add bass drops or something, and they were really excited, really excited. Bass well, drop mastering—it's a new, uh, yeah, trend. I thought it was so amazing that I could do that. Well, I guess the the thing with making a mastering engineer happy, and also making a label happy, and making your own life easier, is that if you send different options to your mastering engineer then you can counter whatever uh, issues come up without having to rebounce your song generally. And that's having a, a template like the one we've been talking about and maybe even adding in vocal up, vocal down, yeah. bounces to your template, all that. Uh, you know, you can then send that to your mastering guy, bounce everything out at once, uh, you know, and then he gets instrumentals, vocal up, vocal down, drum up, whatever. And that that can usually solve all the problems and all the uh, errors in translation and also solve the, the band's, I mean, the label's needs. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I was definitely thinking about putting a vocal up in this template. Well, that's a very, that's a common mix to deliver to yeah. a label is a vocal up. So it it makes sense to me to have that in in a template, for sure. And also, one of the things that comes up in mastering a lot is what level do the drums need to be unmastered? You know, it's sometimes if you don't have your mastering chain figured out on your own, sometimes it can be a little bit of a crapshoot because you don't know, you know, who knows what the mastering guy's going to do to it. Is the snare going to disappear or not? And so sending him two versions to work off of, you know, what you think sounds right. And maybe then a version with drums up a DB or kick and snare up a DB or something. That's very helpful. At least give him the option uh, depending on how crazy he wants to go. That would be kind of complicated to set up, wouldn't it? You could turn in a reference master too, to avoid that. No, all these, these uh, vocal up, drum up, that's all really easy. That's just another audio track and another uh, bus, and that's it. Yeah, it's simple. That's that's all you got to do. So what were, you say, what were you saying about a reference master, Joel? I mean, for example, like if I know somebody else is going to master my stuff, I always mix into a mastering chain that... I'm comfortable with, so I know how the levels are going to translate better, but you can always do a reference master. Like, here's my master. Okay, beat the crap out of it. This is kind of like what we want this to sound like in terms of like, you know, are you clipping or are you limiting, for example, to get loudness and, you know, the different downstream effects that those create. Yeah, I agree with that. This is something that's happened to me a couple of times, and I want to know if it's happened to you guys. I don't like it when a band says like, Oh, hey, you know, hey Joey, we want to get you to master this song. Here it is, um, and then I send it in. But unbeknownst to me, they hired three or four other people to master the same song, and then either you know one of the four guys gets the job, and they didn't tell anybody that that was going on. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna do like shootouts, at least tell that sucks. yeah, at least tell people about it. That's such a dick move. I dropped the band a few weeks ago for doing that to me. I sent in the first mix, and he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I've got like four other guys doing a test mix." I'm like, "Had I known you were giving me a test mix, at one, I would have charged you three times as much money because it's a waste of my time to do a test mix at the deal that I'm giving you." And two, thanks for telling me, asshole. Um, I just wasted a half a day of my time and I, now I don't even know if I'm going to get the job Whereas I could have sat here and we could have worked out a mix through maybe two or three more revisions that you'd be loving. So I just, it's, I, that irritates the shit out of me. And I, I literally just turn those down immediately when I find out yeah, somebody paid, a paid test mix is the way to go for sure. Yes. Do you experience that AL? Have you ever had like competition things without knowing about it? Yeah, all the time. Uh, that well, not all the time, but like, uh, it definitely has happened. It, I mean, that exact same story that Joel just told has happened to me. And then also, say that there's a band that you're working with where they have the one guy in the band who wishes he had your job. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> you know oh, what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. So, oh yeah. Uh, so. I've had strange, strangish kind of experiences where I wasn't told that the band had always intended on trying to have the guitar player mix the record, but <laughs> they just wanted to see if my mix would be better, but they weren't going to 
tell me about that. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had that happen. It's, uh, it's not cool. Well, here's the thing bands and artists have to realize is that if you're hiring a professional, you could be very, very, very busy and have a lot of people that want to throw you a lot of money for your time. And, you know, you get a new project like, yeah, do you want to do a mix on this? Like, yeah, absolutely. I've got time because it's paying. And, you know, you hear the band, you like the song. But then all of a sudden they tell you, oh, yeah, well, this is a mix off, by the way. And, you know, we're, we're all every mixer is going to turn in one revision. And then you're like, well, dude, I could have instead of sitting there and speculating, I could have made, you know, the same rate or maybe even more, mixing another song from somebody who wanted to pay me instead of wasting that time. So it's kind of really frustrating for guys sitting in our shoes because it's just not fair to us. Because Just be upfront, be honest, be like, hey, we're going to do a test mix. Are you interested? Yes or no? Well, especially especially if you're more than one song in. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I would kill. <laughs> def- definitely had that happen. But uh, let's... Uh, you know, because we've been on here for a while, and I think there's one more topic we should cover on this whole organization thing, because we haven't mentioned it, but I have seen people's lives get ruined like this. And I'm really, really thankful that this hasn't been a problem for me in over 10 years, but I did fuck up a session once uh, for a band by not backing up properly and not archiving my files correctly and maybe 10 years ago it was a little bit harder to get it done in all the ways that you can now but now there's no excuse there's absolutely no excuse right now every single one of my computers not only do i back up my sessions manually you know to an external hard drive but also they back themselves up to a cloud backup at 4 a.m every night every computer, including my laptop. And also I have an internal drive in these computers that backs up everything to this drive every night. And so between those three methods, I never lose anything ever. Yeah, that's important. I think I've had to, to actually dig out an archive only one time, fortunately. Uh, actually, what... What about you guys? What's the worst, like, like losing session data that's ever happened to you? Lightning strike. Oh, uh, lightning s- struck. I have an interesting one. Um, I went to a studio to record drums, and they were all Mac-based, and I wasn't using any of my computers. I was just using all their stuff. So anyway, we go about recording the whole record, doing all the drums. Everything looks fine. Everything's great. And put it on a hard drive. And I think that process of of actually putting it from their computer onto my hard drive and then taking that home somewhere in that process. Was this Pro Tools by any chance? It was was Cubase to Cubase, but Mac to Uh, PC. Okay. Uh, So anyway, I take it home. I open up some songs, and there's entire sections of songs that are just not there like on some drum tracks so like the kick would be all the way through the whole song snare all the way through the whole song but then like the room mic is just missing the verse and i'm like what the fuck like damn what would he what would even cause this so the solution to the problem was to hit up the studio who had deleted everything already what (sighs) yeah hit up the studio that deleted everything already run this program that recovers fucking 
deleted files deleted files that are still like magnetically on the hard drive or whatever and dig through all of those audio files looking at date and time i figured out what was missing and and where i had to grab those little takes and put them into the song manually wow But, but dude that was like so lucky like by the skin of my teeth um i will say that if you aren't backing up that's just fucking scary uh the studio actually didn't back up either so we we pulled that off without a backup we're we're just using that software that recovers the raw data you that you're lucky you are wow. very very lucky the well, the thing is with backing up the reason to do it to a cloud and have it automated is because there are some situations where you won't get that lucky like what i was just saying about the lightning strike it took place at my old studio in Atlanta when I was backing up. So this was in 2004, 2005. So I I had my two backup drives connected and I was backing up to both of them and lightning struck and everything, everything exploded. And so I lost some gear, but also everything on those drives got, you know, the drives were fried. If I had been, uh, you know, syncing to a cloud backup, then I would have at least kept all my files. I actually am doing it to a cloud now because of you. Good. By the way. What crash cloud plan? service are you using yeah. to backup? Crash up? plan. Crash plan. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Basically, um, for anyone that doesn't understand what the concept here, the a cloud is, is like a data center that's like in a f- fucking fortified building somewhere that's got backup generators so if the power ever goes out the whole data center just comes back online instantly and i'm sure that they also have data redundancy and lots of uh backups of their backups because they're a backup company that's what they do yeah so that's it's a huge uh it's huge to use that service because all of the headaches of having to worry about the stability of that system are gone like all you have to do is just you know, use your internet connection. Uh, I'm not so lucky. I, I live out in the country. I'm using a, a, a hotspot for my internet, so I can't use a cloud backup right now. Oh, shit. That's scary. Yeah. Well, you can always hook up a drive and, well, you'd have to do it manually and then un- unplug it. That sucks. I think I'm thinking about switching to, uh, what is it called? Network backup? Something like that. Yeah, I actually had a. I had a server that my that I had my uh, friend build for me that I had in my studio and all my stuff would back up to the server in the studio. Um, but even that was still plugged into an outlet in the studio, even though it was like way on the other side. Uh, but I guess it, I guess it's better to have it like it, it at bears, a different location. Sorry to interrupt you. No, I, I just got excited. It bears <laughs> it bears mentioning that. Andrew and I both live in Orlando, which is the lightning capital of the United States. So this electricity issue is very real. People, people's stuff can get fried uh, very, you know, between the months of April and September when the storms are going and you have a lightning storm almost every single day. 
it's a you know it's a real it's a real consideration but the thing is even if you don't have a cloud backup at least if you have both your manual backups and then one sort of automatic backup you know like a server or an yeah. internal drive like with time machine for mac users that's that's very important yeah and at the very least a flash backup because uh that flash can be unplugged you know yeah, and also I have this program called Carbon Copy Cloner that everybody should check out. And car- what Carbon Copy Cloner does is when you are copying files, like say you're going to your manual backup, it uh it, it will sync it'll sync what you have on your main drive to your backup drive. So the actual copy time is way less. It's not going to keep on copying stuff that's already there. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool uh, program. Is that for Mac and PC? I have no idea, but it's called Carbon Copy Cloner. And I want to check that out. Yeah. What, what a cool idea, right? Yeah. There's a old, old program called Norton Ghost or something like that. And it had a utility uh, built into it where you could just copy the zeros and ones of the hard drive. Um, but not quite as fancy as what you're talking about because if you wanted to do it multiple times, it would just start from scratch every time. So that's cool that somebody finally figured out a way to... Uh, what is that called? Isn't it just syncing? What's the word? Um, yes, it usually adds to it. Usually, I mean, I've known it as syncing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. syncing it. I, th- I think that's what it. I think that's what it's called. Crash Plane does the same thing. Yes, it does. Yeah, whenever I first uploaded all my stuff, it took me about a week. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah. yeah, same here. And then uh, now it it only runs for like an, a half hour or an hour every night, and that's it. Yeah, because it's it's literally only, only putting the new stuff up. Yep anything gotcha. that changed or whatever. So it's, I feel like crash plan is one of the most valuable services that I'm paying for out of all it's the so cheap too. Yeah. It's unlimited storage, by the way, what does it Un- cost? limited. What is it like $5 a month or, or less? Something, something, like something, something it's no, it's no excuse level, of, <laughs> level of cheap. Uh, the cost is no free. excuse. Basically yeah. free. Well, I mean, like, you know, lots of people will make excuses like I can't go out and buy drives or because I don't have the money or I can't afford some expensive cloud service. It's like, well, dude, it's it is four dollars a month. I just went and looked. Yes. Four dollars a month. Better get that. Just don't buy a soda every once in a while and you'll be able to afford it. (laughs) Done. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, four, four go two cokes. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. Oh so, boy, that's a trade off. I don't know about that one. <laughs> okay, we've got a question from Daniel Joseph Bush, and he asks: It seems like Andrew uses a lot of guitar compression, but it doesn't sound weird. Can you explain more about that? Uh, yes. The it's actually not a lot of compression. Uh but it might seem like that. It's really easy to, to overdo compression on guitars. The way I like to do it is um, just enough so that, like, say after a really short gap, as soon as you play the guitar, you hear this nice little, like, like explosion of the guitar just for, like, a few milliseconds. Like, there's an attack on it. 
if you yeah. know what I mean. And if you put too much compression on it, like I'm, I'm talking about if you're putting over f- like 4 dB or I mean, even 4 dB is a lot for what I'm talking about. Um, it's just going to sound like a pop or something. So you got to you got to make sure you keep it under 4 dB of compression and uh, you got to make sure you're not compressing the low end because that can make guitars completely lose their beef. But uh, I, I'll use uh, side chaining to avoid compressing the low end f- for like things like that. So, how just uh, to take that a step further because I get asked about side chaining all the time. That's like a big myth. Oh, not a myth. It's just a big myth. Mystery. <laughs> it's a big. Uh, it's a big mystery to people out there. How would I've, how could, I know. I know why it's a mystery because it, it can be complicated. Because I think the word side chaining, when I say it, is I'm using it in a, I could be using it in a couple different ways. Same here. Now, please, guys, don't lose respect for me. But uh, in Pro Tools, there's they have a built-in compressor and it has a side chain filter built into it. Yeah. Um, where it has a high pass and low pass, so you can choose what frequencies. It's like a almost like a multi-band compressor. So you can choose which frequencies it's actually compressing. It's a really simple version, um, but that's that is a basic sidechain. You can also use a sidechain by routing, let's say the kick drum, let's talk about electronic music for a second. So like you say you have a synth and a kick drum and you want the synth to pump every time the kick drum hits, you would select or you would send the kick drum out maybe on the send track of Pro Tools. Uh, you would select which bus it was going out to, and then on the plugin, you would select the key input, which is what it's called, um, and you would be the able trigger, to select yeah the trigger also, uh, and you'd be able to to use that to compress, say the synth track. So the synth track would have the compressor on it, but you would send the kick into the compressor that's on the track of the synth. And every time the kick hits, it's compressing the synth in the certain way that you want it to compress. And this can go, people use it for snare drums, like across like a master or something like that. Um, but if you do something that extreme, you're going to have to make sure that it's really light. Otherwise, it's going to sound crazy. So as far as <laughs> guitars go, can you elaborate on how you would... Yeah, the side chaining for guitars... Um, so I would I'd probably uh, compress everything above let's say I don't know 500 hertz or so um, that and there's some flexibility there but I, I would compress everything above 500 hertz because that's where the attack and stuff of the guitar is you know 500 up so that's the part that I would actually use to compress with not the low end. Because I like, you know, when you have chugs, it's nice for those to kind of, sometimes they get louder and it sounds good, you know? Yeah. So if you're compressing that low end, you're squashing the guitars and it all, it'll it almost sound like you you took the low end out. So you want to make sure that can that can still go through. Cool. Okay, I got a question from Seth Reinick. Uh, sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong. He asks, at what point in the recording process does Andrew start thinking about layering and harmonizing vocals? And how does that affect the way he approaches the rest of the project? Has he found himself in a situation where a project had to be restarted or rethought because once the vocals came into play, 
they changed the structure and feel of the song to something that wasn't necessarily expected? Yeah, this is a great question. Vocals are a huge topic. Um, I did do a two-day class in Creative Live about vocals, and I kind of wish it was a three-day class because I, I, there were some things I couldn't get to. But as far as vocals go, the way I look at vocals, especially when we're talking about melodic vocals, to me, a song is good if it's super basic. Say you have the chord progression and the vocal, and it's strong. If both of those two things are good, then you start adding stuff around that. And that's how you have a really solid song. So uh, I start thinking about layering after we've gotten a great melody, a great lyrics, and all that stuff, because until you have that stuff in place, it's not going to feel right. So after I, I put that stuff in there, um, then I add the magic is what I call it. Uh, but I haven't had to restart anything because I try to think of it from the start and that's why I do pre-production with bands and writing sometimes from the beginning. Uh, and if they did have something written, and let's say it is a little bit uh, further along into the project, I'll just rewrite the chord progression or something. It, it usually doesn't end up being a big deal. Another part of being organized is being able to, if you do have to like redo a chorus, uh, being organized allows you to just fucking delete the whole thing and plug it back in. Right. Um, if your session is set up to do that. So it's not necessarily as crazy of a of a scenario as, as you might be thinking it is, Seth. Um, I mean, I, I've definitely gotten to the point where the song is like 80% done and we just redo a whole fucking part of the song. So it's it's not that crazy. Yeah, good question, though. I think that's something a lot of people should think about more, actually then they would actually come out with some good music. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about does it. Um, I want to thank you for coming on here and just being uh, open and honest with us. Uh, I think we really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Andrew. See you around. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. Go to creativelive.com slash audio to start learning now. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Protone Pedals, the secret tone weapon for guitar experts everywhere. Go to protonepedals.com to take your tone to the next level. To ask us questions, suggest topics, and interact, visit urmacademy.com and subscribe today.